Hello, and thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. Today, we are into our second week of a series studying the gospel according to Mark, and we are discovering Jesus as the gospel writer Mark presents him, a Jesus with authority, a Jesus as king of heaven and earth. Today, as we jump into the second chapter of Mark, we will be looking at a famous story of Jesus healing with authority and Jesus forgiving with authority. And in this, we are reminded again that Jesus cares about and sees us as a united body and soul, as one person in flesh who will live forever by the power of the resurrection. And so let's be reminded that our bodies and souls are in this together as we grow in this journey of following Jesus. And I want to give you a tool to participate in that and to remind you of it. We are practicing as a church at Pennington AG the calendar season of Lent this year. And if you want to walk along with us, you can go to pag.life, go to the Lent tab there, and you can see all the practices we're doing, the prayer habits, as well as our calendar of fasting. And as we fast from food with our bodies, as we give up things that our flesh likes and loves, we center into the spirit that resides in our bodies. And we look at how our flesh and our soul is connected together. I would love for you to journey with us in this season of Lent as we move towards Good Friday and Easter celebration. Let's dive into the text today. Mark chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a really famous story in the life of Jesus. A story of four friends coming and lowering their friend down through the roof. Jesus declaring forgiveness for sins as well as healing and then everybody losing their mind. Let's get some context to this. As we go into this story, we see a building of authority, a building of celebrity, building of crowds coming around Jesus. We see Jesus teaching with authority like no one they had ever seen. We see Jesus heal a man, tell him to tell no one, and then he tells everyone. And as a result, there are large crowds soon surrounding Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter any town. Mark chapter 1, verse 45. And so we see that as Jesus' ministry was successful, as people see the authority of who he was and what he was teaching, he became famous. And as he became famous, it became harder to interact with Jesus. And some actually say in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus repeatedly tells people, shh, don't tell anyone what I did, or shh, don't tell anyone who I am. And people go and they tell everybody anyway because it's Jesus and he just healed them or delivered them or taught them about eternity. And so we see Jesus desiring to be with people, but his fame now beginning to impose on that. So let's look at the story in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. It was his base of operations. He wasn't really born in Capernaum, but it's where his ministry began. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, and so he asked them, 
Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. A crowd crammed into a house, overflowing, out the door, inside Jesus is preaching to eager listeners as well as scribes who are there to question and figure out who this disease-healing, demon-delivering teacher really is. They came to Jesus, and the crowd assembles around Jesus, not because he's a good teacher, but because he has authority. There is authority in how he teaches. There is authority in how he heals. We see examples of this in the lead up to this passage in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus preaches, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. He preaches with authority. Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says, the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority. Mark chapter 1, verse 27, it says amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And Mark 1, 45, but the man went and spread the word to everybody, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. By the time we reach the second chapter of Mark, Jesus has established himself as a teacher with authority, teaching about a new kingdom, a healer of the sick, and someone with the power to cast out demons. Not just cast them out, but someone who demons are afraid of and obey immediately. Into this enters four men and their sick friend. They want to do anything to see their friend well. Seeing the crowds, they think to themselves, well, how can we get him to Jesus? How can we do this? They look at each other and one of the four friends says, I have an idea. It's a little bit crazy, but we love our friend and we want to see him get well. And we know and we think this Jesus guy is the one who can do it. So let's cause some mayhem. Let's bring a little destruction. Let's get up onto the roof. We have to get our friend to Jesus. This is the only way. Let's do it. They climb up on the roof, and in first century Palestine, a roof is like a thatch roof. So there's mud and there's straw over a wood frame. So it's pretty easy to dig through it, and you literally would dig through it to get inside. It also was pretty firm, so you can walk on it, and they would often treat their roofs like we would a deck. And at night, maybe when it's cooling down in the desert, you could lay out on top of it. You could look out over the city and over your neighbors. You could relax up there. So they climb up onto the roof. And inside, those now hear noises, weird noises, people walking above them, stomping around above pieces of the roof start falling. Dirt is starting to rain down on their heads and then a lot more dirt. Now pieces of the roof themselves are falling down on a crowded room filled with people. Jesus teaching people, dodging now pieces of the roof as it's falling. And it's a huge distraction 
for Jesus who's teaching these people that now the roof of the home they're in is caving in. And this is not just a small hole they carve out, it's big destruction. The Greek term actually here, it represents total destruction of the roof. They disassemble the roof entirely. So much so, this story is so cinematic, it's so much fun to preach. You have men desperate to see their friend that love him dearly, want to bring him to Jesus. We see such single-minded faith that they would do anything. We see Jesus with authority heal and forgive and confront those who doubt him. And then we see people react with amazement. In fact, the story ends in verse 12 with this is the first time we see the phrase that becomes common in Mark, the crowd exclaimed, or the crowd said. And the crowd says, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen it before. And as we study the gospel according to Mark, as we study this 16 chapter, one hour long to read story about Jesus' life, For many of us, our problem is we've seen this before. We've heard this story before. We've seen this kind of thing before. And we need to look at this with fresh eyes and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our heart and our mind and renew us with passion to experience this afresh, to experience this anew, where we can say, I've never experienced anything like this before. I've never seen Jesus in this light before. I've never recognized the authority of God in Jesus like I do now. Let's invite God to transform us in this story and to read it anew. The first thing we see in this story, and maybe the most important aspect of this story, is our ultimate need for reconciliation with God. And Jesus recognizes this and teaches it in the story. The friends brought this man to Jesus for physical healing. And Jesus heals him, but before he heals him, Jesus puts his finger on something deep and intimate to all of our lives, our separation from the God who created us. We use the term sin. Jesus forgives him of his sin and reconciles him with God. The man has a physical need that's urgent. He's paralyzed. We don't know what caused it, how long this has been, but he can't walk. He's he's bedridden on a stretcher in, in ancient Middle East and they have to carry him there. His physical need is urgent and dramatic. It's the reason his friends brought him there. They didn't bring him there for the forgiveness of sins. They brought him there so he could walk again. And what shocked the crowd is the physical healing, not the spiritual healing. And in the minds of the crowd, as we read the story, it's more difficult to heal someone physically than it is to forgive them. We are often taught this passage like, yeah, obviously, forgiveness, eternity, all that stuff is harder. But for them... You can just say someone's sins are forgiven. I don't have any evidence that that happened. But if you say you're going to make this man walk and then he does, that's dramatic and that's hard to do. And what Jesus says is even though you have physical needs, I recognize a deeper spiritual need in your heart and in your life that is ultimate. Your physical need is urgent. Your spiritual need is ultimate. Jesus asked what's harder, to forgive sins or to heal. David Pastor, uh, big in the Southern Baptist movement, says this about the story. Our ultimate need is not to be rid of our maladies, but to be reconciled to our maker. 
all of us have different physical needs throughout our lives. All of us at some point, our physical bodies in this world will fail us and we will watch other people we love struggle physically. We all will go through that. But what Jesus recognizes is deep inside of us is a deeper existential human fear of what happens when I leave this earth. How does God view me? How does my creator see me in this life? Have I lived good enough, well enough, lovingly enough? Do I deserve an eternity with a God that loves me? Is there an eternity that is out there? What's going to happen to me? And Jesus says, I can heal you physically, but I can reconcile you to the God who created you. And there is, coming into this passage in Mark, coming into Jesus' life in first century Palestine, in Israel, there's an idea that all brokenness in the world, including our physical illnesses and disease, originates from the sin evident in the world, the brokenness of our relationship with God. And that if God was perfectly united with his creation, there would be no death and disease. There would be no hurricane and decay. It would be healing and life eternally. And what Jesus is teaching us here is, yes, I can heal you physically, but that healing physically is evidence that I want to reconcile you with me for eternity. And what is greater, that you could walk again for the next 60 years or that you could be in the presence of the God who created you and loves you for all eternity. Jesus is making the point that each of these are equally impossible for a human being. And Mark is revealing to us the character of Jesus that he's not just a human. He's not even just a Messiah, a savior. He is God, the king of the universe, in flesh walking among man. And he says this, both of these are impossible for a human. And both of these are possible for me as God embodied here on this earth. And then Jesus uses a term for himself, a term that we may see in passing. He calls himself the son of man. And many times we read over this and we think about Jesus as Messiah or as the Christ or as savior. But Jesus, more than any other term, refers to himself as son of man. This is a phrase that comes from an Old Testament book, Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, he writes a story about four demonic creatures that come into the earth to destroy and then a son of man with authority to heal. And we learn a little bit about the character of Jesus as son of man. What does that mean? Let's look at it in Daniel chapter 7 to see what Mark is teaching us about Jesus. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel writes, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This is, again, King Jesus who comes with authority. And as he talks about himself as son of man, we learn a few things about who Jesus is. Number one, he's the Messiah. He's a savior figure. The son of man was the Messiah to come to save them. He's human. He says, I'm the son of man. I am fully human. This is not a trick. I am just like you, made in flesh. But he comes from heaven. 
and he rides on the clouds. He is divine God in origin. He has authority over heaven and earth, authority over all creatures heavenly, all beings here on this earth. He has authority and power over. He brings all the diversity of humanity together under him. Under King Jesus, every tribe, tongue, and nation is united together. Beauty in their diversity, but united together as one kingdom. And finally, he rules forever over a kingdom that can never be destroyed. This is the identity that Jesus wants us to see him as the son of man, human and divine, with authority over this world to bring us all together in his love and grace. He is the king over his kingdom. He is human, but with authority, and he will heal all that divides us. Give me some of that. That's what I want. I want Jesus as that, one with authority who understands my flesh, but has power over all of it and can bring all of us together. He can heal our divisiveness. Yes, give me that. He can heal our sickness and disease. Yes, absolutely. He can lead us into a kingdom of love for eternity. Yes, Jesus, bring your kingdom. Yes, Jesus, teach and guide us. In this story, we see Jesus exercise his authority. He's already teaching about the kingdom and he's doing this for the whole first chapter and he's doing it in the home before the roof caves in. And we learn three things about Jesus' authority in this passage. Number one, Jesus has the authority to read our hearts. He reads the heart of the paralyzed man and forgives him of his sin when he clearly has come to be healed. Jesus reads that you have a deeper wound that you need forgiveness from. You have sin in your heart and you have fear and shame and I can heal you and forgive you. And then it says he discerns what's happening in the minds and the hearts of the people in the room. That they're skeptical and scared and freaked out that Jesus is saying he can forgive sins which only God can do. He discerns their hearts and he speaks directly to it. I want to serve a Jesus who can read my heart better than I can. I want to serve a Jesus who knows me better than I know myself and can out of love and grace pull out my sin, my fear, my shame, my pride, and speak into me his character, his righteousness, and love. Second, we see Jesus' authority to heal. While the ultimate expression we see is Jesus' ability to forgive and provide eternal life, it's not to say that Jesus' healing is trivialized or unimportant. Jesus has authority over this world, including our bodies, and can heal our brokenness, sickness, and disease. Mark emphasizes, of all the Gospels, Jesus' authority to heal. In chapter 1, he holds Peter's mother-in-law as she comes up out of bed and is healed from migraines. We see Jesus touch a man with leprosy, and now it is gone. And then in this story, we see just a word from Jesus bring healing to a man paralyzed. We see that Jesus has authority over our illnesses and disease. And if we come to him, we can receive that authority ourselves. And then thirdly, we see ultimately that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. The healings are the visual striking parts of the story of the gospel according to Mark. But forgiveness is the eternal power of the story. 
To Jesus' day, forgiveness was complicated. It required sacrifices and rituals, and you had to perform them in the right way and, to, and through the priests at the right place. And you always had in the back of your mind this fear that you haven't done it right, that you're not good enough, that maybe you missed something and God was going to ultimately condemn you. And you walked around with this guilt and this shame of whether or not it's going to work out. And Jesus comes in and he simply says, do not place this onto your own ability to offer sacrifices, your own ability to live righteously. You can now place your confidence in forgiveness and who you are in me. And I will declare you forgiven and I will make you clean. Jesus has the authority to declare us forgiven and through the cross and the resurrection, he has the method to make it so. By dying in our place and by triumphing over the grave, he shows us the power he has to forgive our sins eternally. And as righteous king, he lives the perfect life that we cannot and then he graciously gives it to us that it is now our call and identity of being forgiven. In the authority of Jesus, we see come to Jesus and be forgiven. Know Jesus and know that you are made righteous. In Jesus, we can stop the worry and the guilt. In Jesus, we can stop the fear and shame. In Jesus, we can stop the desire to perform and to be proud and to draw it into our own works. Jesus says, I will reach out to you. And if you accept my authority and my ability and trust in me, I will forgive you and I will give you my righteousness. Healing is not our greatest need. Forgiveness is. I can be dying in my flesh and still at peace. I've sat by the bedside of faithful followers of Jesus who have done exactly that. I can be completely healed and healthy and full of physical life and still racked with guilt and shame. Jesus provides us the authority to know we have been reconciled with our maker. And because sin is forgiven, ultimately all sickness and death will be gone in eternity by the authority of Jesus. Lastly, we see that faith in Jesus is love for others. Faith in Jesus is not about our own soul and securing our ride into eternity, securing forgiveness for ourselves. Faith in Jesus is about loving his created people, his images in flesh as he loves them. And what we see is a story about four men not pursuing healing for themselves, but pursuing healing for someone they loved. And we see the faith of four people resulting in the forgiveness of sins for someone who didn't come on his own power, but was brought there by people who loved and cared for him. Mark chapter 2 verse 5 says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. He says, seeing their faith, plural. It's not just the faith of the man he's forgiving. It's all of them together have made this possible. Their love for their friend and their trust in Jesus provides the environment for a miracle to happen. Let me repeat that again. Their love for their friend and their trust in Jesus provides the environment for a miracle. People love to preach this story because it's so visual and dramatic. Four friends who dramatically go to whatever ends they can in order to help their friend. In many ways, this story is a love story. 
about loving friendship. They love him, their friend, and they want him well. It's also early in Jesus' ministry. And he's only a few stories from around the countryside of who Jesus is. And yet they hear these stories. They hear about how he teaches and they say, that's the guy. I trust in that man, in that name, in Jesus and who he is. That if we bring this man that we love to that man that we trust, we can see him healed. And we will do whatever we can to make it so. Their love is expressed as leading him to Jesus. This is our vision and our mission as a church, that our love would compel us to lead others into the presence of Jesus that we trust completely. This story is about men with a burning passion that I wish I had. And I pray that the Holy Spirit can give me the same passion and trust that they have, the same love that they have. Such a single-minded trust in Jesus that he's the solution. Such a burning love and passion for their friend. I would ask myself the question in this, what if I destroyed this person's home? What if I made a huge scene? What if I interrupted Jesus' teaching and Jesus doesn't want to do it? I interrupt it. I literally cause a class four felony in the state of New Jersey. I burglar someone's house. I destroy their private property. I interrupt a teaching scene for 50 or 100 people. I cause all this destruction. I make a big scene. I embarrass my friend who's paralyzed by lowering him down in front of everybody. And it doesn't happen. I'll be embarrassed. He's going to be embarrassed. Jesus is going to be mad at me that I did this without asking him. But no, They don't think like that. They say, I know who this Jesus is and my love for my friend compels me to bring him to Jesus whatever means it can be. Their love for their friend plus their trust in Jesus creates the environment for a miracle. Four things we're going to learn from them and this is how we'll close out. Four things we can learn through the action of these men and the character of Jesus. Four applications for us in leading people to Jesus. Number one, confident faith. Faith that's confident. Confident in the God that we serve. This is what the author of Mark is trying to do for us. He's laying out 16 chapters of why we can be absolutely confident in the character and power and authority of Jesus. This is why you can trust in Jesus. This is why you can pray to him. This is why you can lay your life before him. This is why you can share this story because of the character of Jesus. The friends say if we can just get him to Jesus, he'll handle this. How many times I've doubted, how many times I've wanted to do more than just bring somebody to Jesus. I've wanted to do more than just share Jesus. I also wanted to coach them and and guide them and give them tips for their life. I've also wanted to give them a fun experience that they're going to remember rather than single-mindedly believing if I can just get them to Jesus, that'll be enough. If I can just share who Jesus is in my life to them, that'll be enough. The messiness of it, my messiness of my life. But if they see Jesus, that's enough. Confident faith in the authority of Jesus. Second, compassionate faith. That they really loved their friend. And they had compassion on him. And that their faith was not for them, but for somebody they loved. If not for their love, their friend would have still been on his mat, paralyzed in his home. 
our faith needs to be more than just me, 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 and what I pray about for myself and for my life and for my pleasure. My faith needs to be about love of others. Jesus teaches what's the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as you love yourself. And many scholars believe what Jesus is teaching us is you love God by loving others. Loving God is the power. Loving others is the expression. And compassionate faith means my faith is about others and loving them that they may never know the loving grace of the God who created them. That they may never know the peace of their sins being forgiven completely. That they may never know of the eternity awaiting them. They may never know of the love that can reside in them. Compassionate faith. Third, creative faith. They did anything they could to get him to Jesus. No obstacle could stand in their way. Willing to commit crimes, destroy property to bring their friend to Jesus. Willing to interrupt the pattern, the status quo. They interrupted Jesus' teaching to bring their friend to him. So many times we don't want to interrupt or, or disrupt the friendship, the relationship, the pattern of church itself with a burning passion for someone to come into the presence of Jesus. They were willing to interrupt the status and think creatively. What can I do? How can I share it? How can I present this story? How can I do anything in my power that they can come and meet Jesus? And finally, contagious faith. Faith that inspires someone else. Will my faith inspire you? Their faith affected their friend's life. Jesus sees their faith and it changes his friend's life. Their faith affects Jesus. Their faith affects Jesus. It changes how he's thinking in the moment and he responds to their faith. And then lastly, it changes the crowd around them. The people in that room will tell that story for weeks, months, or for the rest of their life. I was early on in the ministry of Jesus. When he was just a backwaters preacher, I was in this crowded room and it was hot and it was sticky and Jesus was preaching things that I've never heard before. He was teaching with authority about the kingdom of God and in the middle of Jesus' sermon, all of a sudden dirt is raining down. The roof is collapsing around us. I look around. I don't know if we're going to die, if all of this is breaking apart. Is Jesus doing that? And suddenly we see the roof break through and four faces looking down into the hole and shouting to make space as they lower their friend down on a stretcher before Jesus. And then Jesus looks at them, sees their faith and declares forgiveness for him and then gives him the power to walk. And then after that, we see him jump up, grab his mat. He runs out of the room. I would tell that story to every party, every crowd, every dinner, every moment I'm alive. I would tell that story. The faith of these men would change and affect the faith of these hundred people gathered around. Is our faith contagious to others? Are we so excited about who Jesus is, what he's done, and the authority of his love that we share it with others? Is it contagious? Will people see my life and be inspired to follow Jesus? Mark writes a story about Jesus' life to encourage us to trust in the authority of Jesus. He writes a story to inspire us to share the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he shares a story to give us peace that Jesus has come for each and every one of us to offer us forgiveness for our sins 
and to offer us healing for our lives eternally. I want to close this time by giving you a moment of reflection and a moment of meditation on who Jesus is in your life. And I want to just challenge you right now to just sit quietly and ask yourself, what of the three authorities of Jesus do I need to most let into my life today? What do I need to internalize and be encouraged by? Is it Jesus with the authority to understand my heart? As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, that Jesus can search me and know my heart and pull out any unrighteousness? Do I need to invite the authority of Jesus to search me and know me? Is it the authority of Jesus to heal? Maybe to heal in our bodies, body of a loved one we care about who's suffering and struggling? Is it the authority of Jesus to heal me relationally? A relationship, my marriage, my family, a friendship? Do I need the healing of Jesus emotionally from scars that I've been carrying around? Or do I need the authority of Jesus to forgive my sins and to set me free to live eternally in his righteousness? Take a moment and reflect. Do you need the authority of Jesus to search, to heal, or to forgive? And just take a moment and invite that Jesus, invite that authority into your life in this moment. We'll pray this together. Jesus, in this moment, we invite you to search us. We invite you to heal us. We invite you to forgive us. And for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus yet, I want to give you a chance to start with this prayer, to start by inviting Jesus into your life with authority today. And just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, today in this moment, I want an experience with you. I may not be paralyzed on a map, but I have sin in my life. I have fear and shame in my life that I need you to speak into. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need your authority in my life. Jesus, I believe that you were God in the flesh, King Jesus living on this earth to know me and to know my sin, to die in my place on the cross and to conquer sin and death through the resurrection. You gave your life to me. I commit my life to know you, to search you, to trust in your authority. And may you lead me into life everlasting. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time today and you want to begin your journey of trusting Jesus as Savior and King over your life, just click the link below here around this video. We would love to reach out to you, resource you, and walk this journey together with you. I am so excited to continue to study the life of Jesus through the gospel according to Mark together. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Pennington AG Church.